Oh, he's awesome. He is awesome. Hallelujah. There's nothing that compares to his grace. Hallelujah, Jesus. We bless you in this place, God. We thank you for your amazing grace, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for that grace, Lord God, that overwhelms our lives, overwhelms our hearts, God. The more we understand it, Lord, the more it overwhelms our lives, Jesus. Thank you so much, God. You are amazing. We serve an amazing God. Amen. Amen. Come on, give him another hand of praise. He's worthy. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. And we're going to continue in our Grace Is series. Romans chapter 8. We'll begin reading in verse 12. Romans 8, chapter 12, when you got it, say so. so, and we'll begin reading in verse 12, and it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive again the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that is truth that sets us free, God. We thank you for your word that aligns our lives. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that even as your presence is here moving in this place, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. I pray that you would help us, God, not to be hearers alone, but doers of your word. And we ask you, Jesus, to be glorified in us, Lord God. I pray that you use me for your kingdom and for your glory. And I pray this all in Jesus' good name. And someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. And so today, I'm going to ask all of my, it's my family as well, but it's also my wife's family that is here. Will you all just stand up for a moment? I, I, I don't normally do this, but can you give them a hand? This is the Bird family and the Cleverly family. They're my wife's cousins. You guys can be seated. This is their first time ever being with us, so hopefully they'll come back again. Amen. It'll be a long time again because they live in Texas and um, South, North, South Carolina. There you go. So it'll be a while, but praise God they made it today. They were, this was such a surprise. My wife looked at me. She's like, my whole family's here. I'm like, really? I didn't. And then I looked out there, and all I saw was Scott. Scott's like really tall. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, I see Scott. Then I saw Dorcas a little when everybody started greeting each other. And so praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you guys made it today. But anyway, we are here today, and we are dealing with um, the topic of grace. And so we're dealing with grace for five weeks. And what I've chosen to do is go through grace as an act. Acronym, and so we talked about, we used the G the first week, and we dealt with grace as being something that is granted and something that we grow in. Um, last week, we talked about grace is redemption, and so we talked about the redemptive work of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about grace is adoption. Say, grace is adoption. 
And so one of the greatest aspects of grace is this. I mean, all of grace is beautiful and all of grace is amazing. But when you think about grace and the, and the part that deals with adoption, that's something that should stir our hearts. So, so far we dealt with the, the, the given part and the redemption part. So today we'll talk about our, our God as he adopts us into his family, makes us part of his family. And then he also um, keeps us as part of his family until we see the inheritance, which is our full adoption, which will happen later on in the future when we either meet him or when he comes for us. Amen? And so one of the greatest doctrines, I believe, of the Christian faith, and you can lower me just a little bit, please. One of the greatest doctrines of the Christian faith is that of adoption. And why is it so? It's because I don't know of any other religion that offers a personal relationship with a deity. I know of plenty of religions that offer the same moral standards, so to speak, and plenty of religions that have certain things that are alike, but the one thing that sets Christianity apart is that it offers you a relationship with the deity or with this God, and so God, who is a holy, a just, and a pure God, also shows himself to be benevolent, kind, and merciful, desiring to have a relationship with us as his creation. And so here's the thing, and here's, here's one of the great issues of our day, is that far too many professing Christians have reduced their belief in God to deism. For those of you that don't know what deism is, what deism is is they believe Genesis 1. So they believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. They believe that God set everything in order. They believe all of creation. And so they believe in a deity. They believe in a God, but what they believe is after God set the laws in order, you know, the laws of gravity and all of the different laws that are there, what God did was he checked out and he said, now you go ahead and abide by my laws. And for some of you, you're going to do great because you're going to abide by the laws correctly. You're going to learn how to sow and reap and all of those different laws and principles that are there. And they don't believe that God is actively involved in their lives. But it's important for us as Christians to make sure that we, first of all, believe that God is not some God that is disassociated with us, but that God is actively, sovereignly, and intimately involved in every area of our lives, irregardless, regardless of whether we think about him or not, he's still intimately involved. Whether we are mindful of him, he is still mindful of us. Whether we are thinking about him, he is still orchestrating and ordering our steps. And, you know, sometimes we have to repent of sin and we have to recognize that we have gone the wrong direction. But God is gracious and he wants to be actively involved in our lives. And so when we deal with the topic of adoption, the, do the doctrine of adoption makes clear how involved the Father wants to be in our lives. I don't know about anybody else in here that is a parent, but I want to be actively I wish I was sovereign, but I'm not, right? I want to be intimately involved in my children's life, every area of their life. I want to help them grow in the faith as they're younger. I want to help them make decisions as they get older. I want to be able to pray for them and be involved with them. And so how much more do you think your heavenly father who sends his son to die in your place wants to be actively involved in your life? He wants to be intimately involved in your life. And the beauty of this is that you, there's only two types of people in here. Those are the ones that have been adopted and the ones that are not. Amen. They're either the ones that have experienced adoption or the ones that have not. There's one or the other. Either you are, and I'll get into this a little bit later on, but either you are still a child of the devil. Hello. I know you don't want to hear that. Or you are a child of God. And the only way that you and I are children of God is through the form of adoption. And so God does this amazing work. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say adoption, adoption. Efficiently, efficiently, 
addresses our past. And so when we look at adoption, it efficiently deals with our past. It deals with everything in our past. No, no situation in our past matters um, once, once we have been adopted into the family of God. I've talked about this doctrine of justification. And what God does is he doesn't just give you a new name or he doesn't just forgive you of your sins, right? He makes you right, stand right before him, but he also no longer knows you by those old things you used to do. See, it's one thing to tell someone, and I've said this many times, it is one thing to tell someone, I forgive you for what you've done to me. It's a totally different thing to never think about what they did to you ever again. And, and, and our God is the one that is fully capable of doing that. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so he removes our sin from us. So it deals with our sins in the past. So look here at verses 15 to verse 16 with me. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so when we look up adoption, for those of you that like to take notes and write down definitions, this one is a little bit lengthy, and according to my daughter's request, I will say it as slowly as I can, amen? Adoption is to formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance. Now, I'll say it again. That was a little quick, right? It was lengthy, right? It's going to take you a minute. But, but listen to what adoption is. Adoption is to formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's child. I'll say that part again. Adoption is to formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance. So it's to take someone who doesn't, when, when God does this, he takes someone who is not his and I gave you the analogy a long time ago when we were going through the book of Galatians and it talks about adoption in the book of Galatians. And one of the analogies in our small groups that we, we, we don't meet every week during the summer, but in our Connect Life groups, one of the things that came up in our group was, was a statement that I made. And it's one thing to adopt someone who is cute. It is one thing to adopt someone who is nice. It is a totally different thing to adopt someone who is nasty. Right? To adopt someone who is just bratty and just, you know, doesn't want anything to do with you. It's a, it's a totally different thing. And that is what God does. God doesn't adopt a bunch of cute folks. Hello? I know you think you're cute because you look cute today. I know, I know you're like, but I am cute. All right, for the moment, right? Exterior, you're cute. But the reality is down deep inside, you ain't cute. Hello? None of us are cute. We're all sinners by nature. This is, why, this is why I say that the adoption process effective or efficiently addresses our past. And so what happens is each of us, and every one of us has to understand this, has an equal past. Understand this, please. Before we came to faith in Jesus, we were all in the same bondage to sin. Now, each of us may have had specific sins that were specific to our life and our situation. Like some of you may have been alcoholics. Some of you may have been adulterers. Some of you may have been liars or cheaters or whatever the case may be. And so some of you may have been those things and, you know, others of you were never some of those things. But the point is, each of us was in the same bondage to sin. The second thing is, by birth, we are all children of the enemy. Hello? 
We're all children of the devil. I mean, Jesus makes that crystal clear when he's speaking to who? The Pharisees who thought they were definitely not children of the devil. Hello. They really thought that they were, they were born into, you know, but to the seed of Abraham, and they knew that they were not children of the devil. And Jesus tells them, well, yes, you are. You are part of a different family. And so not only that, but we were all under the same condemnation of, etern- of eternal damnation, every one of us. And so we talk about the gospel often. What? We are all born into sin. We are all separated from God because of our sin. And the result of our separation from God because of our sin is what? It is going to be judgment. And so all of us, before we come to faith in Jesus, are under that that position. We are sinners separated from God on our way to hell. But Jesus comes and dies in our place. He suffers the ultimate death for us. He does what? Like we talked about last week. He redeems us. He pays. He atones for our sins so that way we can what? So that way we are no longer under the fear of judgment, which is why it talks about this spirit of bondage. We are no longer under this fear of judgment, but we are what? We are, we are grateful and expecting to experience the glory and the wonder of heaven. We realize that because of the blood of Jesus, we are what? We are washed in that blood. We are cleansed by that blood. But we don't experience that until we put faith in that Savior. It's not enough just to know that you know who Jesus is. And, and when I say faith, listen, you can't have faith in him without repentance of sin. Hello. You have to recognize that you're a sinner, not just by nature, but by choice. Hello. And so we are all separated from him, but because of that sacrifice, we are allowed into this relationship with God. And so the beauty of adoption, according to, first, according to the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 12, is that once we put our faith in Jesus, we receive power. To become children of God. That is an awesome thing. We receive power to to become children of God. And the book and all of the other and all of the gospels and the other epistles outside of Paul, Paul is the only apostle or writer of the New Testament who uses this term adoption. But all but the other writers use the word children of God. And Paul makes it clear how we become these children by using this term of adoption. But we become his sons. And I want you to turn real quick. We're going to come back to the book of Romans, but I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, just a couple of books to your right when you're turning there. And you're going to look at um, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 3, I mean chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, because this is a beautiful picture of what adoption does for us and how this actually happens. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, when you got to say so. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, say every, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so talking about us, we have everything in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, we have it in him. Verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So who chose who? He chose us, right? It says he chose us in him. Who is him? In Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love who predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So where does the glory go? To the praise of the glory of his grace. It is a work of grace that we are his children by which he made us accepted in the beloved, talking about relationship. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, 
which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Is that, not, is that not a beautiful encouragement that before the foundation of the world, the plans for yours and my adoption was already orchestrated? We're already establishing him. It wasn't because we did good stuff. It wasn't because we were great. It wasn't because we were awesome. It is because he is great, because he is awesome, because he is loving, and because he is merciful. And he is working this out. And he's dealt with the sins of our past. And so when we go back to the book of Romans, we find this again in verses 15 through 16. For you did not receive again the spirit of bondage to fear. So we're not in fear of judgment. We're not in fear of being separated from God. But we have received what? A spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The spirit himself, the spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. For most of you felt the presence of God in this place this morning as we were worshiping him. And, and, and that presence is there to tell us what? It's to tell us that we're children of God. To tell us that we are sons of God. But not just during worship time. But there's something that God does within our spirit. He does what? He, he puts in there. In the book of Galatians, it talks about his spirit that cries out in us, Abba, Father. And so God wants to bear witness with us, letting us know that we are his children. Now listen, this is speaking to those of you that have already turned from your sin to your Savior. If you've turned from sin and you've turned to Jesus, then obviously there is something that lets you know, man, that's my daddy in heaven. That's my God in heaven, and he's dealt with my sins in the past. He's dealt with my sin completely. So our past is completely addressed in our adoption. Why? Because in adoption, we talked about this in the, in the Galatians series, we receive a new name, we receive a new identity, we receive a new family, and we are not to walk under the condemnation of our past, but we are to rest in the truth that before the foundation of the world, in Christ, we were predestined to adoption. That means, look, when we look at this, every curse is broken where? At the cross. Every fear is addressed where? At the cross. It is the cross that enables us to come into this relationship. And now what we do is we live with an ever-present assurance of the Holy Spirit that we are the children of God. God continues to remind us this morning, this message is a reminder to some of us, you are children of God. Listen, because the truth of the matter is you don't always feel like a child of God. Hello? I'm just saying, I don't always feel like a child of God. And what I mean by that is I don't always feel like acting like a child of God. That's what I mean. You know, I, I don't ever walk around like, man, am I a child of God today? That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that, that, that's, that's incorrect thinking. You shouldn't, there's a problem if you wake up tomorrow and you're like, man, am I a child of God today? There's an issue with that, right? Like you wake up like three days a week like, am I a child of God? There's a problem, right? That shouldn't be that way. There should be an assurance because of the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God. And, 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 and we can be assured of that. 
But we're not always going to feel great. We're not going to always feel like acting like Christians and things of that nature. But it is important for us to know what the scriptures teach that we have received this what? This spirit of adoption. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is say adoption Adoption. definitively directs us in our present. Adoption definitively directs us in our present. Look at verses 12 through verse 14. It says this. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So as children who are adopted into the family of God, we do not only receive the blessings of grace, but the responsibilities that come with this grace and this relationship. Amen? We don't, we, we don't just become children of God and we no longer have responsibilities, right? We're, now we're children of God. We can live however we want to live and we're just children. It's all good. Is that the right mindset? Is that what the scriptures are teaching? I, I, on the contrary, Paul is arguing and he's saying, first and foremost, he says, you are not debtors. You are not indebted to fulfill your flesh. See, because all of us, we have a flesh, a nature that desires things that are opposed to God. Amen. Everyone in here has that. Everyone in here battles, and we have opposing, and we'll say opposing forces that are operating inside of our heart. And there are moments in our life where we feel, even after we put our faith in Jesus, even after we are seeking God, I'll testify to you, and I'll give you an example of this. I'll be driving down the road, and I'm worshiping Jesus, and I'm all up in the Holy Ghost, amen, glory to God, feeling real holy and real righteous, and then I get cut off, and suddenly... It's like a suddenly moment, right? It's like the opposite of what happened in the upper room in the book of Acts. Like they were there praying and suddenly the Holy Spirit fell. I have the opposite suddenly. Like suddenly I'm rebuking my flesh from a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just saying, right? And I know that may just be me and maybe two, two or three other of us, but the bottom line is that's an example of, you know, we have these moments where we're in the presence and the glory of God. And then I have to make a decision at that moment. I have to decide, am I indebted to my flesh? This is what Paul is saying here. Am I a debtor to my flesh? Do I owe my flesh the right to go on ahead and and obey whatever my thoughts were? Hello. The thoughts could be many, and I won't get into all of them, but am am I indebted to the flesh, or am I a debtor to what? Am I a debtor to the spirit? Am I indebted to God? And when we say indebted, it's not like, you know, God is calling you up being like, hey, man, you owe me something. It's not like that. God is not that way. God is not hanging over your head. You owe me everything. He's not doing that. He gave you freely this grace, and in your hearts, in my heart, there's something that should change inside of me. But Paul argues the point, and he's talking about us in a couple of verses, about us receiving the spirit of adoption, about us being children. He goes on in verse 13, and he says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And so what is he saying? He's saying this, that if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to the desires of your flesh, you will experience death. If you and I, listen, we can go ahead and make all the professions and confessions and everything we want, and we can say that we're Christian and everything like that, but if we live according to the flesh, the Bible says we die. I don't say that. The Bible says that. Listen, you can know all the Christianese in the world. Hello. You can know all the cliches. You can, listen, you can have memory verses, and you can know all kind of, but the point is, are you living according to the flesh? 
Are you living? Because the, the scriptures teach if we're living according to the flesh, then our end is death. And I would say it like this. If you say you're a Christian and you are living according to the flesh, you need to question your commitment to Jesus. Because the two don't operate together when I make a commitment to Christ. See, notice what I'm saying. I don't drive around living in the flesh. There are moments that my flesh will rise up. I don't live according to the sinful nature anymore. But why is that? Because I'm so amazing? No. Is it because I've read more Bible than you? Absolutely not. Is it because of the Bible college that I'm going to? Is it No. Is, what, what is it? Is it because I'm the preacher so I have some extra power? No. It is because God has, has caused me to be born again. There's a new life that's operating in me. This Holy Spirit that has sealed me to the day of promise. You know that? We read, read that in Ephesians. He is working in my life. And so it should be the same thing for us as believers. And I just use me as an example because I won't use anyone else. But as Christians, if I'm living according to the Spirit, then I'm going to experience temptation. I'm going to experience shortcomings because we learned last week what? We all fall short. We're all falling short. We will continue to fall short of the glory of God. But it doesn't mean that I intentionally fall short. It doesn't mean I live short of the glory of God. It means that because I'm, I'm still in a fallen nature and I will not be perfected until I see Jesus completely, then I'm going to experience those things. So here's the thing. We must decide, when we, when we look at these scriptures here, we look at that we are not debtors to the flesh, that we are supposed to live according to what? He says this, he says, but, put, but, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit. See, I can't, you and I, we cannot live this life in our flesh. We cannot conquer. Listen, we cannot will ourselves to just be good. We cannot will ourselves to obey the scriptures the way that the scriptures should be obeyed. We can't do that. Why? Because our sinful nature won't allow for it. But by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And verse 14, very important verse, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I want to point out that there's two words here that are used. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are what? That we are children of God, right? There's two different words that are used here. The one is children, the other one is sons. It says that the sons are led by the Spirit. And so the first word that is used there when, when, when he's talking about, not, not the first word that is used there, but the first word here that is utilized when he talks about sons, that, are, that, that those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That word there is talking, it, it is the word huos in the Greek. And what it means is the son or someone who is mature. It is someone who is mature. And so those who are mature, right, those who are being matured by the Spirit, those are the ones who can follow the Spirit of God. Those are the ones who are empowered to live because they're walking in that. But here's the other one. The other word there, that, that, that the Holy Spirit bears witness through our spirit that we are the children of God, we are the technon of God, is the other Greek word. And that one means just children. It means those who are born again. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness to two things. First of all, he bears witness that we are children of God, not because of anything that we do or we don't do, but simply because we put faith in Jesus. We've turned from our sin, and now in our spirit there is a witness that what? That we are the technon of God. We are the children of God. But then there is something else that needs to be measured in our lives because as Christians we should be growing. We shouldn't stay as technon little babies in the faith, but we should be growing into you 
doulos in the faith, which means that we should be coming to maturity. And so God doesn't only bear witness to, our, uh, to us being children of God, being born again, but he also bears witness to our maturing in God. By us being led by the Spirit of God and by us following the Spirit. And so the truth of the matter, church, is that our maturity in Christ can be seen clearly and measured effectively by our adherence to the direction of the Holy Spirit. We can see. We can look and see, am I growing in my faith? Am I growing in my maturity in Christ? Am I growing in my dependence upon the Lord? Am I growing in my understanding of the word? Remember we talked last week about how do we grow in the gospel? How do we grow in the grace and the knowledge? Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that we should grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the question is, how is it that you and I grow in this? It is not because we add knowledge to our heads. It is because faith is added to our hearts. And the one thing I didn't say last week is that the book of Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so the way that my faith increases in the truth of the gospel is what? It's by continual meditation upon the word of God, upon the truth of God. You're not going to grow in the faith just by reading the Bible once and once in a while. You're not going to grow in the faith. Listen, if the only time you open your Bible is when you come to church, you are not going to grow in the faith. For some people, the only time we open our Bibles is when we come to church or we come to a Bible study. But when is it that you are sitting down with your God, with the Holy Spirit, and allowing him to build your faith? Because we should be growing, and if we're going to be led by the Spirit of God, listen, being led by the Spirit of God isn't like you close your eyes and just go like this and say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Hello. It's not, it's not like we're floating somewhere. I mean, it's, the, 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 we can be led by the Spirit of God. By what? By us being in the Word of God. By us being in the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired so that we know the heart of God and we can follow His direction in our everyday lives. Amen? The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, adoption assures us of a secured future. Adoption assures us of a secured future. Read verses 17 to 23 with me really quickly here. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He goes on to say, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's just pause for a moment because all of us want to hear that we're children of God. Amen? That, that wasn't very inspirational. Like, amen, yeah, amen, amen. Am I putting you to sleep? I'm sorry. Listen, all of us want to hear that we're children of God, right? I'm just saying. Like all of us, we, we all want to hear that. All of us want to hear about our inheritance in Christ. Amen? Right? We all want to hear about all the good stuff we have. We all want to hear about everything that's promised to us. We want to know all the promises of God in the New Testament for our lives. Amen. Glory to God. I want to know that. But, but, but how many of us want to hear, um, you're going to have to suffer with Jesus? Nobody wants to hear that. You want to just hear, man, I'm blessed, highly favored. It's all good. Yeah, I believe all that. You're blessed and highly favored. I've used this analogy before. I will continue to use it for the rest of my life. Joseph was blessed and highly favored from his daddy's house, being sold as a slave, and Potiphar's house, being put in the prison. He was blessed and highly favored all the way through. Hello. There was not a moment in his life that he was not blessed and highly favored. He didn't see the fulfillment of God's promise until later on. But did he ever lose the favor of God? Was he ever not blessed? 
No, he was always blessed. He was always, you know, he, he was always under that blessing by God's grace. That, that's just how it was. But here is the thing. We want to hear about the good stuff, but Paul makes it clear. He's like, listen, read verse 17. If children, right, we're excited, we're children of God, then heirs, we're even more excited. We're not just children here, but we're heirs. We're going to experience some stuff of God and join heirs with Jesus because of what he's done. He says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so what does that mean? Now, now, let's flip it around. Does that mean you got to walk around suffering just hard all the time? Does that mean you got to walk around depressed and that life just has to be horrible for you? Is that what that means? No. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about suffering for Christ. The Bible promises us. This is a promise. Okay? The promise is that for those who desire to live righteous in Christ Jesus, they are going to suffer what? Persecution. And persecution comes in all different shapes and forms. In some places, persecution is you losing your life for the gospel, literally losing your life for the gospel. That's persecution on one level. There's lighter levels of persecution that hurt just as much in our hearts, and it's when people are rejecting of our Savior, are rejecting of who we are. Those things, when people are continuously, continuously blaspheming our, our God and dishonoring the truth that we stand for and we live for. And you know what? As a Christian, you and I should be experiencing Listen, I say this clearly. I was, you know, I had a conversation um, with, with, with a brother the other day, and I was telling him, you know, I said, in the church, people should love you. Hello. In the world, not so much. Not everyone is going to. And if everyone that is not a Christian around you just loves you to pieces, I don't know. Maybe you're not standing up for the truth the way that you should. Maybe you're not communicating the truth. Notice I didn't say maybe you're not a Christian. I didn't say that. Because there's some people that they may cower in certain moments. They're not very confrontational. And, you know, they're just nice to you, whatever the case may be. And so people like them. But the moment that you and I stand up for truth, people start looking at us different. The moment the standards of the scriptures, and it's not my standards, not your standards. The moment the standards of the scriptures begin to become forefront in our life, people don't like that. And suddenly, you know, they'll retract from us or they won't want to be around us like they used to be. Hello. It's just the truth of what happens. And so he goes on to say, verse 19, he says this, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits or eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now pause for a moment. I thought we were already sons. When you drove here today, you passed like five churches, I'm sure, that you may have noticed because you know they're there. But there's a bunch of other churches. I told you before, Oviedo's not a very big city. There's 36 churches, and I'm going to put a plus sign because there's always another one popping up somewhere. All of the schools around Oviedo, they have churches inside of them. And so some of those haven't even received, you know, they're not even in the yellow pages yet or whatever the case is. And so 36 churches for a city this size. So there's a lot of churches. So wouldn't you say that there's a lot of sons of God all over the place? So why is creation still waiting for the revealing of the sons of God? Think about that for a moment because we are the sons of God that are being spoken of here. But go on, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And so God is the one who subjects creation to the things that we see that are going on, things dying, corroding, and all that kind of stuff. But he does it in hope. He doesn't do it with no hope of no end. And creation knows that. Verse 21 says, Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, the book of Revelation talks about a new heavens and a new earth, and so at that time when the new heavens and new earth occur, guess what? Creation will be totally different. 
It won't, there, there won't be the corruption. There won't be the decay. There won't be the things that are going on because of what? Because of that time of the newness of all things. He says in verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. But look at verse 23. It says, not only that. Just think, hold on now. We just talked about creation. It's groaning. We see the groanings. You know, you see all of these earthquakes. You see all of these, you know, hurricanes and stuff like that. And listen, some people have different positions on this, but the reality is, in my opinion, this is my opinion. I'm going to give it like that because I don't have a theological, you know, anything to stand on on this to be 100% sure. But my opinion on this is that those things are the birth pangs of the earth, that, we, that, that the earth is experiencing birth pains. There are things that are going on, on in, in, inside of the earth, literally, because it's literally waiting for the revealing of the sons of God but he says this he says not only that not only is creation doing this he says but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption hold on a second I thought we were already adopted the redemption of our bodies when I was studying this out I started to look at this and I said man I don't really fully understand that but then when you look back culturally, there were two things that took place in order to make an adoption complete. The first one was what happened in private. It was signing of papers or whatever. What made that part there was the private part that occurred. And then there was the second part, which was the public declaration that made it complete. And what happens is we have received the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, the moment that we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And so now we have been, we, we, we've, we've been adopted completely but partially at the same time. Does that make sense? Not really, but yes, it does, right? It, 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 what happens is we, we're not, I'm not worried like, okay, is this going to be finalized? No, I'm just eagerly awaiting what? I'm awaiting the day that the trumpet sounds. I'm awaiting the day that I go to be with my Savior. I'm awaiting the day, the same way that creation is, that I return with my Savior. And he says, Son of God. And that's what he's saying. He's communicating that when we return, we are in our glorified state. According to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says that we do not know what we will be like. Why? Because we have not arrived. So listen, no matter how many lotions and potions you use, hello, you still have not arrived in your glorious state. I mean, that is just the reality. No matter how fit you are, you haven't arrived in that glorified state. Imagine how amazing people can be now, and that's nothing to compare with what will happen when the glory of God is upon our lives, and we're no longer living in this world that has fallen. We are no longer living in this world that is broken, but what? We return with him. And so what God wants us to do is for us to experience the full adoption but now he wants us to eagerly await that day when everything is completed he wants us to look forward but listen I could be as loud as I can be and I can be as excited as I can be and you know what you and I will never await anything until the spirit of God does something in our hearts and what the enemy wants to do, understand this church, is he wants us to be so consumed with the brokenness in this world. And what I mean is the things that are not complete in our lives, the things that haven't been fulfilled in our lives, that we forget to eagerly await what? The revelation of our king and our return with him. So for us, we should be those who are eagerly awaiting what? The revelation of our king, the revelation of him, because when he comes, that's when the fullness of time and we experience his completion of our adoption. So I close with this question here. Are you living in awe of your adoption? 
and and, and in anticipation of its future fulfillment. Are you living in awe of the fact that God decided, because he's loving, because he's gracious, to send his son and die in your place, to die in my place, and he decides to call me a son. He decides to call you a daughter. He decides to call you out of darkness and say, I don't just want to call you out of something. I want to call you into something. I don't want to just call you away from sin. I want to call you to myself. I want you to be in this relationship with me. Are you excited? I mean, mean, does that even do something in your heart? Maybe you're in here and you don't even know him. And today's a day for you to repent of your sin, to put faith in Jesus. Today you can do that and become a part of this family. And the second thing is, if you're in here and you're a Christian, are you eagerly, like the scripture says, like groaning inside, like your heart eager? Listen, I want you to know this. When I came to faith in Jesus, there's one thing that I know for certain, and I only know this because I saw her pray for my grandfather, is that I know that my mom was groaning in her heart. And when I say groaning, I mean literally crying with brokenness inside of her soul over her lost son. There was an eagerness inside of her to see me come to Jesus. And praise God for his glory. A month after she became a Christian, so did I. And we, you know, we, I'm serving Jesus today because of that. But here's my point. My point is that in this world, we can become so overwhelmed and so taxed inside of our soul because of situations that are going on in this world that we do not groan equally for what? For the completion of our adoption and our redemption. And so if you're a believer in this place and there are other things that are overwhelming your heart, I challenge you to lay those things down before your king and ask him to help you to groan after him so that way you're seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, and you're seeing all things being added unto you. Amen? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask the music ministry to come forward, please. We're going to worship. And I just want to open up the altar today. I want, if you need prayer in this place...